When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in team, uh, we're wrapping up the week on a Friday. We're going to kick off with the chance to win a $50 TRB bonus bet. Why not, he said. And do remember, you've got less competition today because half the country's got Andy Thompson's Rural Roundup and the other half of you are listening to me on the afternoons. And we've got a sweepstake. So you can text in double eight double three. that is the Tampa Bear Post text machine. Here's what we want you to do. Across Super Rugby and NRL this weekend, which game will have the lowest combined number of points? So the two teams, add them together, you'll get a game total. Which game will have the lowest combined points? In the rugby, we've got Blues Waratahs, Chiefs Reds, Crusaders against the Drua and Brumbies Hurricanes. And in the rugby league, you can't pick last night's game, although that's twenty. That's 40 points. So in the Rugby League, we've got the Raiders, Warriors, Sea Eagles, Dolphins, Dragons, Rabbitohs, Broncos, Knights, Roosters, Panthers, Storm Sharks, Bulldogs, Eels. So get around those and figure out which game will have the lowest number of points. Text them through, double eight, double three, or even more preferable, ring me. And tell me which one. And because there's something like 10 or 11 games, we need a tiebreaker. So the tiebreaker this week is going to be which individual player will score the most points this weekend across all those games. So we're looking for lowest scoring game and the highest scoring player. So you'd be looking at two ends of the spectrum, won't you? And there might be a hiding in the offering so just for an example, let's say the Chiefs beat the Reds 42-0 and the Blues-Waratahs is 28-all. Blues-Waratahs is higher. So it's the combined points per game. I can hear you all thinking now. I can hear you all thinking now. So while you're doing that, going through, I want to hear which game you're looking forward to the most. Um on a personal note, well, not a personal note, public note, I am stoked Braden Yossi has got the start for the Hurricanes. 
at number eight, Ari Savia seven, uh, Tom Flanders six, which means Duplessis Kariffi is on the bench. Uh, I love it when a player gets an opportunity, plays well, and then is rewarded with another start in a big game. Braden Yossi is that man. So, 0800-150-811. It's a sweepstake, but it's midday madness. Well, listen, Buster, you better start to move your feet to the rockin'est beat of madness. Oh, I just about called you out there, Elvin, because you just put a game and then you put the top point scorer. So Elvin's first in. Roosters, Panthers, and his tiebreakers, Damien McKenzie. First entry in, first call on the line, Joey in Auckland. G'day, Joey. Yeah, g'day, Steph. Yeah, it was a tough one, mate. Um, I, I feel the, the, uh, the Roosters um, uh, generous, without a doubt. I think that's going to be uh, fairly close. And it, can, it, can, it can be any player. Um, any player across um, the whole most, weekend, yep. Most points. Yep. Um, Steph, I would say Geordie, Geordie Barrett, uh, Hurricanes. They could they could easily, you know, they could easily score thirty or forty, but they could be easily be close as well. You know, they're all good games. I was just saying to Smithy uh, earlier this morning, mate. I said if you took a multi of the, the favourites, you're probably in, rug, in the rugby. You'd probably get it. You know. Yeah. And um, and the Warriors, I think, even going to Canberra, uh, they they got they got a big chance. You know of of. Uh, it's really hard to win a Canberra, we all know that. But um, if Canberra a little bit off, you know, uh, you never know. Um, you never know, Steph. Yeah, and by, um, by picking Geordie Barrett, you've got their kicker, but you've also got a try scorer as well. So the, he, he can genuinely score points two ways. Well, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that, and that's what you look at too. Yeah, you're very smart, Steph. That's very clever of you to know, Steph. <laughs> you know what, mean, mate, you know? and what do you think about Braden Yossi getting the start for the Hurricanes? Good, you know, like good talent, you know. Um, and we keep, you know, we, we worry about players going overseas, staff, and they say, oh, you know, look, you know, my mate, he, you know, he's been in Scotland for 30 years now, and he says, Joey, he said, you just keep tuning them out. He's a keeper. He said, you just keep tuning them out, tuning them out. He said, you know, you'll lose your, your five eights, he said, and then he said, you know, like someone like Dan Carter retires or whatever, someone else comes in. Someone else comes in. And he said, he said, you just got that much talent, he said, and he's feeling it's fantastic. You know, and, he, and he's correct, you know, we, we have. You know, we worry, I know, because, you know, we think, oh, we're not, you know, we're not going to... Then all of a sudden, I'm not saying they're all going to be like, you know, as great as Richie McCall, but there'll be another one that come up, you know, very similar. And, and same at 5'8", same at the wingers. I mean, look at the, the... Who do you leave out in the wingers for the All Blacks at the moment? Oh, I know. And you look at the other wingers yeah. around the comp that will not make the All Blacks, uh, but in a couple of years they probably will. We, we've, we've got some decent talent. Yeah, that's right. You've got to, you've got to just say to some of them, just bide your time, you mm. know. Um, because, I mean, Mark Talia, the way he's playing, he, he's, he's got to be somewhere in that All Black uh, uh, set-up uh, this year, I would think, because he can win games here. Yeah. You know? He scores tries other wings can't at the moment. Yeah, well... And as I always say, Steph, you know, go the morning turbos. Go on your turbos. Go on your turbos. Good on you, Joey. 
Yeah, mate. See you, buddy. Uh, we'll go to the life member, Zaid, next. Uh, g'day, Zaid. I'm writing down... Good what, afternoon. Game what, day in the 09. The game day in the 09. Who's going to have the lowest scoring game? Okay, we'll go the Blues and we'll go Bodie Barrett. Blues will have the lowest scoring game? Yeah, and we'll go Bodie. Bodie to be the top point scorer. Up the Blues. <laughs> you confident? Yeah, boys. Pardon? Are you confident? Yeah, I'm confident as hell, Steph. Hey, are you going? Of course, mate. What, what do you mean? <laughs> I know. I knew what the answer was. I just wanted to hear what you, your reply would be. <laughs> and one word before I go, watch out, Saders, next week if the Blues get in. Oh, really? Really? Watch out, Saders. Oh. I, I hear old Whitelock under a bit of injury cloud, so watch out. Okay. And out. Yeah, come on, Ken. But yeah, tonight, yeah, easy dub. Um, yeah, um, I reckon Tom Robinson's going to get a try tonight. Big Red, he's going to get a try. Oh, shots fired yeah, from Bluesman Zaid. Let's go. Let's go. See you, boy. Thank you. Oh, the great man Zaid. Blues Tars, lowest scoring game, Bodie, high scoring player. Interesting. Um, who's next here? Is it Simon and Hamilton? G'day, Simon. Afternoon, Mark. How are things all right? Tremendous. Yeah, perfect weather, isn't it? Jesus, it's about time. Yeah. Uh, my lowest, my lowest scoring match is going to be the Raiders Warriors. Yep. Just the conditions over there. I just think potential. Um, highest scorer will be Damo. D Mac. And I've, I've I've got a funny feeling that they. Sort of says, oh, we're going to win a piece of cake. Oh, I hope we're there next week against the Crusaders. So he's doubting himself. <laughs> or maybe he's hoping and, the Crusaders win theirs. I don't know. Oh, uh, possibly, possibly. But I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I'm going. I'm betting against the Blues tonight. I reckon the, I reckon the Waratahs are going to show up and break a hoodoo that's been going on for a long, long time for some of those Aussie sides. But. I'd like to see the Blues win, but I think the Waratahs might get up tonight, and I've got them in the multi. Wow, look at you go. Money where your mouth is. I don't mind that. Me neither. Yeah, so hopefully it comes in. I hope for you too, buddy. Good luck to everyone. Cheers, mate. There he is, the great man. Simon Hamilton, he's gone Raiders, Waratahs. Raiders Warriors, sorry, lowest scoring game, and DMAC to be the top point scorer across all of Super Rugby and Rugby League. This weekend, we go to Scott and Wellington. G'day, Scott. Hey, Steph, how are you? Good, man. I'm gonna go with the lowest scoring, uh, just because it's the last game of the weekend. I'm gonna go with the Bulldogs and the Eels, just to keep myself alive as long as possible. <laughs> and you'll know what the target is. I, I will, I will, and um, I think the highest point scorer because I think the Storm Sharks will be a pretty high scoring game. I think Nick Meany uh, will end up with the highest points for the weekend. Nice, nice. I like that. You know, dogs, eels, and you know what the lowest will be going into that. You'll just be screaming for defence for an hour and a half. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> and both of those two teams at the moment, yeah. I mean, especially the Eels, you don't know which team will turn up. I mean, they can be, you know, high score in one week and, and can't score a point the following week. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. All right, mate. I wish you all the very best with that. Awesome. Thanks, Steffi. Have a good weekend. You too, man. You have a great weekend. All of you have a great weekend. So much good sport and interested to see which ones you're very much looking forward to watch. And if, you, if you've spied an upset, an upset in the offering,
Which one do you reckon that is as well? Another Simon, but this one's Auckland. G'day, Simon. G'day, Steffi. How are we? Yeah, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. Yep. Um, the lowest scoring game. Um, uh, I'll go. I'll go the Storm. Storm Sharks. Okay, your first one to pick that. So that, that's a good sign. Storm Sharks. Yep. And who's yeah, the top so, point scorer across the whole weekend? Uh, Damien McKenzie. Oh, there's a few D-Macs. Okay, nice. But no one's got yep. the same game and Damien McKenzie, so that's good because we can't allow that. Um, which one are you looking forward to watching most across both codes? Um, probably the, the Warriors game tonight should be good, the Raiders. Yeah. 300th yeah. game for Croker, which is just incredible. Yeah, it's a good haul, right? Eh? Yeah, it's a great haul for him. Awesome, buddy. Cheers, baby. Have a good one, mate. You too, buddy. Simon, out of Auckland, that was. Um, so we've had one, two, three, four, five, six through the phone lines. I can see I've got 11 through the text machine. 11 through the text machine. I'm going to have to write those down. Tell you what, I'll take a break. Can I get 11 done? in the short space of time we have an ad break. I'm, I'm going to do my very best. So really keen to hear your calls, though. 0800 150 811. Which, if you just joined, which game across the remaining games of NRL and all of the Super Rugby quarterfinals, which, of, which individual game will combine for the lowest total number of points scored in that game? That's your first job. And your second job is who's going to score the most points individually? across all of those games. So two ends of the spectrum. Testing the old grey meter for you. 0800 150 811, give us a yell. Move your feet to the rockin'est beat of madness. Right, 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 right. Lowest scoring game across the whole weekend between the NRL and... Super Rugby quarterfinals, the lowest combined score. Which game will that be? And the tiebreaker is which player across the whole round will be the highest scorer individually. We've had a couple of double ups on the text machine. Machine. So I've the first person to text it in, they can keep it. So we've had two Brumbies Canes lowest scoring, Richie Moonga top point scorer. So Mark from Christchurch, you have to text me another tiebreaker. Or another game. Mark from Christchurch. And this one. Two people picked Storm Sharks, lowest game. Where's the other one? There. Um, and Damien McKenzie, high point scorer. Anthony Roru, you were second in for that. So re-enter. Please, please. Change your game or change your, your tiebreaker as well. Um, I'll tell you the list of the, and I haven't got through all the text messages because Murphy's Law. There was 11 going to air break. I got through a lot of them, and then we got a whole lot more. Your tiebreaker point scorers read like this. Geordie Barrett, Damien McKenzie, Damien McKenzie. Bodie, Nick Meaney, Damien McKenzie. Moonga, 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 Damien McKenzie. Bowden Barrett, Clint Gutherson. Mitch Drummond from Kimberley. Bodie Barrett, Damien McKenzie, Mitch Moses, Cody Walker. That's our tiebreaker players. That is our tiebreaker players. If I was allowed to enter... Here we go. If I was allowed to enter, um, I think the Brumbies Hurricanes will be the lowest scoring rugby. 
Um, and just looking at the league, not the Seagulls, Dolphins. Oh, they got terrible defence. I'd probably go Raiders Warriors, actually. And then my top point scorer across the whole weekend, I'd probably go... Probably Moonga. Is that the biggest winning margin? Come on, the drawer. Okay, I want the drawer to go close. Um, whoever the kicker is for the Rabbitohs. I don't know who it is off the top of my head. I'd probably go them. Um, back to the phones we go. We've got Kai from Auckland. G'day, Kai. Hey, g'day, Seth. How are you? Good, man. Awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll try the um, the lowest. We'll try the, the Roosters and Panthers. Yep. And we'll go for highest. Uh, well, could be uh, Mr. Croker himself or Canberra, mate. Oh, you think so? Oh, no. I know. I know. <laughs> what a player he is, though, <laughs> eh? What a servant he is. Oh, definitely go. He's, he's, he's a good kicker too, by the way. He's, he's one of the good ones, you know, like um, underestimated age. So good to see him back, you know, and um, happy for him going, yeah. going forward for the 300. Really happy for him. Yeah. And he's just a real gentleman too, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Very uh, very respectful as well, you know. He's, um, yeah, he's a nice guy and great player too. Yeah, really handy. And a one-club man, and I like that. Yep, me too, sir. Me too. Good Thanks on you, Kai. Good you too, Thank man. You. you too. Take Thank care. Uh, so Kai's gone Roosters, Panthers, and Jared Croker. If Jared Croker's the highest point scorer across the whole weekend, I'd imagine the Raiders are going to win. <laughs> I don't want that. Anyway, it's a comp. It's a comp. You're saying what your head, not your heart wants. Um, 0800 is the number. We go over to Aussie. Talk to Darren. G'day, Darren, mate. Hey, Steffi, how are you? Yeah, good, man. Uh, just, just be nice to me. I've got the missus in the car with me as, as well. So oh, look, keep, she's keep a great clean. woman. She's a great, patient woman. Hi, Debbie. <laughs> <laughs> right. Are you, no, into, are you no, having... Are you, are you putting in one entry, Darren, and Mama Bear Darren's going to put in an entry? I think this might be above her pay grade. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. yeah, She'd probably take uh, Buddy Franklin to be the high yeah. point scorer. <laughs> 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 no, she's Western Bulldogs. She's oh. from, Sorry about that. Many yeah. So. <laughs> um, back to reality. <laughs> um, Blues Waratahs. I just think the Blues are a bit misfiring still. Hope, hope I'm wrong. Hopefully, um, Dave's not getting too upset with me right now. But um, <laughs> the Waratahs just seem to... I don't know what they're going to do. So, I'm thinking that could be a, um, a low-scoring dross affair. Yep. And uh, McKenzie, McKenzie for the points. And now I have to make sure no one else has got there. Blues Waratahs, Bodie. Uh, no, you're in the clear. You're in the clear. Oh, sweet. You're in. Now... You've got Mama Bear in the car. Uh, are we heading to anywhere special? No, I've just been uh, just been to the doctors to have a check up, oh. and uh, been told that I'm I'm all good. So yeah. Here I was thinking it was a long romantic weekend. You know, maybe uh, sassafras, something like that. No, no, that was last weekend. Last weekend, yeah. This weekend I've got the mother-in-law over, so I'm going to be on my best behaviour, mate. Oh. Just get a hall pass, mate. 
I'm going to be in the shed watching the rugby. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. I wish you and uh, Mother Bear a very happy and um, patient weekend. Yes, yes, the uh, contraceptive slash mother-in-law will be there. So. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Thank you. See you, buddy. <laughs> oh, one of the greats. That is one of the great lines. I did enjoy that. Oh, oh how am I going to get through all these text messages? Um, was that Mark from Christchurch? Adjustment. Yeah, Mark, he's changed the game and the most points. Here's an interesting, his entry for most points across the whole weekend is not a kicker. It is Lester Fainganuku. He's going he's gonna to have to get about four tries, I would say, 20 points to be in the hunt. So Mark from Christchurch, perhaps go and have a look at a power play. I'm going to do that for you right now because there will be a power play for Lester Fainganuku tries. So you might be able to double dip here. Um, if I scoot to the Crusaders game, and courtesy of Tabby, I go to the power plays, and it'll be a very expensive one. Leicester Fyanoku to score any two of the first three. No, we don't want that. Um, I thought they have might have a multiple try book. No, Leicester Fyanoku and Will Jordan to combine for two tries. No. Leicester Fyanoku, no. Oh, I just wanted a three try from him. Uh, is there another lot of power plays? Oh, well, maybe not. Um, Leicester Fire looking four tries. Four fives is 20. That might be enough. 20 points, three tries, 15 points, probably won't be enough. Maybe they can give him a few kicks as well. Big Leicester, big Leicester. So if you just joined, the game we're playing, pick the game across the remaining games of the NRL and the Super Rugby, what is that? It's about 10 games. Which one's going to have the lowest combined points scored? Add the two teams together. You get a total, lowest total. And because there's not many games, but there's a ton of players, the tiebreaker, if required, which individual player will score the most points across the whole weekend? 0800 150 Give us a yell. If you can't get to the phone, if you're working or driving, no, don't text and drive. Double eight double three is the text number. So if you're driving, get on the hands-free and give me a yell. I want to hear which one you're looking forward to and hear what you're up to for your weekend, much like uh, Darren and Ozzy did. Oh, what a fantastic weekend. All right, we'll take the news from Johnny Mack and we'll come back with your calls. To move your feet to the rockin'est beat of madness. Oh, look, Anthony and Rotorua, I, I read out before you had to change from Damien McKenzie because someone already had it. You had the Storm and the Sharks, Damien McKenzie. So you've changed it to Richie Moonga. You have to change it again because that's already taken as well. <laughs> you can either change the game, Anthony and Rotorua, or change the player for a third time. I'm really sorry, mate. I'm really sorry. Um and he says, have a good afternoon. I hope that doesn't mean you've stopped listening, Anthony. Um, bugger. Um, and Kimberly's shaking, changed her Mitch Drummond because she wasn't listening, Kimberly. And she said, I'm sorry. I'm always sorry. Don't be sorry, Kimberly. Uh, and she's changed it to Dallin Watene Zalesniak. Now he's going to have to get five tries because rugby league tries are only four points. But 
Strange things happen every day in the world. Strange things happen. Um, so many entries. Can I please have the Sea Eagles Dolphins? Here's our first Sea Eagles. I should have just put man. Sea Eagles Dolphins. Dolphins. Oh, and it's scooted back down is the lower score. And Blake Tafe, top point score. I tell you what, Phil, you're the only one with the player, the only one with that game. T-A, I don't even know how to spell it. I'll spell it how you've spelt it. Phil, I think that's Phil from St. George's Kennels. I think it's Phil from St. George's Kennels. Uh, Raiders, Warriors and the Rabbitohs kicker. Yeah, I'm the Rabbitohs person as well. I don't know who their kicker is. Latrell? Does he kick their goals? Yeah. Finn Basimo is in the booth today. Sammy Hewitt's not here today. He'll be bringing you commentary tonight. Tonight? Yeah. Raiders, Waratahs. I keep saying that. <laughs> Raiders, Warriors tonight. And the build-up starts at what time, Finn Basimo? Is it 7 or 7.30? 7. One-hour build-up. Wowee. Wowee. They'll probably play a few um, interviews. Well, It'd be well worth replaying the Dallin Watene Zalesniak interview tonight, Kempi and Sam. It was fantastic. Uh, that was on running it straight two o'clock or two twenty, something like that, on Wednesday. Uh, running it straight is our dedicated rugby league show. Um, do have a listen to that, and then the full commentary of that kick off at eight. I think the Blues kick off tonight at seven, so I'll be watching that till eight. They'll be up by thirty. That's what I predicted yesterday. Maybe not. Um, so much good sport. Very much looking forward to Hurricanes going to Canberra and taking. Actually, actually. So that means that means they've got the NRL tonight in Canberra and the Super Rugby playoff tomorrow. What a time to be alive living in Canberra. I hadn't put two and two together. That'll be the most social two days, the most social 24 hours Canberra's ever seen in its history. In its history. Uh, remembering at two o'clock, we got one of the guys that spent most of his rugby career in Canberra, Jeremy Paul, the Jeremy Paul show at two o'clock. Actually, that's remiss of me. I haven't told you what else is on the show today. You wonderful listeners, looking, searching for the rundown, searching, which I can't find. It's under the drawer. Here it is. Um, I mentioned to Smithy, we do have Jeremy Paul at two o'clock, of course. At about 1.40, Mr. B is joining the show. Now, Mr. B is the most ardent Man City fan fan I've been able to find. And he's been a Man City fan since he was a child. So he's gone through years and years of pop, and now they've had a few years of gold. And he's in Tenerife, and there's a Manchester City uh, Tenerife Manchester City Supporters Club. So I'm going to call him and we're going to yarn with him about, you know, they've won the Premier League, they've won the FA Cup. What does the Champions League mean to them? And I don't think they've ever won it before, Man City. I'm pretty sure they haven't won it before. Um, so that'll be fun. That'll be at about 1.40ish, something like that. We're going to bring you Road to the Ashes. We've been playing you excerpts of this over the last few weeks. It's all on the SENZ app. You just look up podcasts and go to Road to the Ashes. We're playing you an extended interview today with Simon O'Donnell and Steve Harmson are the hosts, and they're interviewing Monty Panasa about his 
Ashes experience. Very, very good chat. So we'll play that uh, at around about quarter past one. We have a catch up with Brennan Popperwell on TAB Odds, etc. Uh, Finn Basimo, he always has a very big task of putting together all what's making news and back in the day. Sam always tunes in and listens, and that's how they are marked. Um, and we have a love racing update with uh, Tim Mills from uh, the Canterbury Jockey Club. Uh, I saw demolition started on their grandstand. Um, I think it was damaged in the earthquake and they haven't been able to use it anyway, so I think it's finally coming down. So I just want to ask him the iconic week of racing, that is Cup Week, and they have the the Guineas, New Zealand Cup, all of those great races down there in November. So what's it going to look like this year? So we'll catch up with him a little bit uh, later on as well. Oh, it's Phil from Auckland, not Phil from Hastings. Thank you, Phil from Auckland, putting me right. It's like I'm talking to you on my little message screen with the little pink square. And I've been asked the question, I've been I've been sent a text here as well. Um, there's no name on it, but it says, um, Staff, I was at one of the functions where you were guest speaker telling us some match-fixing stories. Are you allowed to tell them on air? Um, look, am I allowed to tell them on air? I can probably tell... Some of them, I mean, if I'm prepared to tell them in public at a function, surely I can tell them in public on radio. I'll just have to, won't name teams and I won't name players and I won't name that sort of stuff. I can possibly paint some scenarios about stuff that I'm, are you interested in hearing that? Because I'll, I'll, I'll figure out a, a spot. So um, just text through MF yes or MF no if it doesn't interest you and um I'll think of one that I can tell that's not going to incriminate me or anyone else. Some of them are quite funny because they were a long time ago and it was before I even knew what match fixing was. Even though I was a bookmaker, match fixing wasn't even a thing. I'm just thinking of one, actually. Thinking of one. But um, I'll see if I can uh, tell you those. Um, Dave, Waiheke Island, formerly Manawatu, a great truck driver. Happy Friday, Steph. Brilliant that Braden Yossi gets another cap. He has a big, big future. Remember, Geordie's kicking was horrendous last week, and he didn't kick in the second half. So for me, Panthers, Roosters, lowest scoring game. Adam Reynolds, top scorer for the weekend. I feel like saying career best form for Adam Reynolds, but he's been he's had a number of good seasons. Who are the Broncos playing? Oh, they're playing the Knights. That's not a bad shout. That's not a bad shout at all. 7.30 tomorrow night. That is not a bad shout. Dave, and you're first in with that pick. Um, Louis says Cody Walker's out, so he's going to change to Roosters, Panthers, Reese Walsh, top scorer. Reese Walsh, who takes the kicks, Reynolds or Walsh? I don't know. Walsh can score tries though. So I had now I have to go and find Louis. You should see the state of my entry sheet, team. Louis, there he is. He had Panthers, Roosters. I oh, still got that. But we're going to reach Lightning. Reese Walsh. Are you guys? Could you? You a bit like me? Like people saying, "Oh, I wish he's still playing for the Warriors." Not me. Not me. I don't feel like he fits. He's like, he's the glossy mag rugby league player. I feel like the Warriors are newspaper, black and white. 
rugby league player. You know what I mean? I just feel like good rugby league player, Reese Walsh. But I don't know if here would have been as exciting for him or something. I don't know. I just feel like he's a rugby league player better suited to playing over there. Very, very good player. Not taking not taking anything away from that. Righto, I'm keen on your call still. 0800 150 811. Um, double eight, double three, Temper Bear Post text machine. If you can't get to the phone, let's have a look. Oh, we've got an MF, yes, MF, yes, MF, hell yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Maybe I'll do one after the break. Maybe I'll do one. We'll have a break. He's got the Chiefs 1 to 12 against the Reds. He's got the Crusaders 1 to 12 against the Drua. And the Hurricanes 1 to 12 against the Brumbies. $5 returns 1559 Not bad. Um, inundated with match fixing, yes. So here's one I'll tell you. Many, many years ago, many years ago, uh, you know how the Ranfilly Shield holder plays a couple of. Well, nowadays they're called Heartland teams. I think it was even before Heartland. It might have been in the Div 2, Div 3 days. But they always had a couple of games in before the MPC started. So the Ranfilly Shieldholder hosted a second or third division team in a Ranfilly Shield game. They were always going to win it by truckloads. So I was at the, at the sports desk at the TAB, and I got an anonymous phone call from someone. I just answered the phone. This is that much, David. Yes, you do the rugby bookmaking. Yes, he said, I'm just ringing you to give you a heads up that the team that held the Ranfurly Shield, the top team, they're going to manufacture that the number eight will score the first try um, in the first try scorer market. Just giving you a heads up. I said, how do you know? He goes, I just know, and he hung up. And I went, oh, never heard of anything like this before. So this is before match fixing was a thing, right? So I, when the teams get named. Um, and from memory, it was a midweek game. So on the Tuesday, I opened up the first try scorer market. And, as I was, and it was very manual those days. I did it on spreadsheets, and then you had to individually put in the price. And I got to the number eight of the Ranfurly Shielder holder team. And in a one-sided game like that, like it was like a $1.50 head-to-head. So normally in an even match, a number eight might be paying about $18, $20, something like in an even match. So in a one-sided match, about 12. So I opened them at 10, just in case there was any weight to the phone call that I had. So I opened them up at 10. Opened the book instantly. $10 on him, $10 on him, $20 on him, $10. Like the first 10 bets were all on this number eight from the Ranfurly Shield holder team. So I dropped it to nine. Money kept coming. Dropped it to eight. Money kept coming. He ended up paying less than the wings. About $5, and the money just kept coming. Now, it was just 5 and 10 and I think $20 was the biggest bet. But in those days, there was a decent liability. And by a liability, I mean if he had scored the first try, it would have been about a $3,500 loss. Making money on every other player, when you're looking at a book, it shows you if he scores, you make that much profit. He scores, you make that much profit. This particular player, the number eight, was a big, big red number. Again, I'm going back a long time. So, game started, and I had this massive liability. And this is even before live betting. Um, you know, you can bet in the run now. This is before live betting. So all the books are close, and I'm just sitting there watching the game, and as things happen, you pay them out. It's a very manual system. So we're about five minutes into the game, and the Minnow team were hot on attack. They're about 10 metres out. 
And there was a bit of a kerfuffle. Don't know how it changed position, but the wing from the Ramfurly Shield holder team broke clear. <clears throat> Running down the right-hand touchline, I can still see it now. Running down the right-hand touchline, had about a 15, 20-metre lead on the chasing pack, and it was growing And as he was running. <clears throat> Excuse me, five metres from the line, or 10 metres from the try line, no one around him, the realisation hit his face. He's not supposed to score the first try. And he went to ground. Wasn't tackled. He just went to ground. Five metres out. You know, in the drills that you see rugby teams and they just go to ground and present the ball as if it's sort of a ruck and then the back line resets. He did that. The wing. All of the team arrives. There's sort of a ruck, sort of a maul. They leave it in there. And the referee calls scrum. Five metre scrum. I've told this story before. Okay, I'll carry on for those that Ian, you recall the story, I'll carry on, Ian. It's probably because it's one of the safest ones, Ian, that's why. So if you haven't heard it. Um, so five metre scrum. Ball goes in. And of course it's a big first division forward pack against a minnow pack. And the scrum collapsed, so they had to reset. So they reset it. Ball fed in, scrum collapsed again. Penalty try. Penalty try. First try scorer, penalty try. Paying $60. And you'd think they'd celebrate. And all, I nearly said the team, all of the Ramfurly Shield holding team just all look at each other going, what's going on? Then many, many years later, I bumped into said number eight and mentioned that to him. And he goes, yeah, it was um, all of us putting money on for our end-of-year booze trip on the bus to help sort of pay for it. So they didn't see it as match-fixing. I didn't see it as match-fixing. It was just a bit of a bit of a lark. And sorry, Ian, that I've put you through that story twice, but um, I've always found it very fascinating. And there's been other instances of Ranfurly Shield games like that a long time ago, not currently, not currently, a long time ago um, of... Drop goals being taken very early on by, by challengers and holders at good money. And they all missed. None of them worked, ever. That's karma. That's karma. I'll come back after a short break. Helping you tune out your annoying workmate. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Uh, text from Dave telling me Leicester three tries or more is paying nine dollars. Yes, it's on. There's a separate tab for two or more, which I think Leicester was two seventy five, three or more nine dollars. So thank you, Dave. You've pointed me to it. Hey team, <clears throat> I've got a good friend who is. A, well, can I read this? Without saying who it is, uh, he's explained that the last few seasons there's been an unconscious bias amongst the Highlanders about not commitment to certain players once they have a couple of bad games. He thinks it's beyond political and there is a coaching divide between the main players and those who are slightly on the fringe. Surely this type of thing has to be a part of the Landers' last few seasons and not being great. I really hope the Landers find some players find some form of course no more Aaron Smith which has been a guiding light and I think they've really missed the likes of Nasi Manu and Ash Dixon amongst their ranks as well back after the news
Jessica, on one o'clock, uh, very soon we're going to hear from Monty Panesa. Um I can pretend it's me doing the interview, but it will become very obvious very quickly that it's not. Steve Harmison and Simon O'Donnell caught up with him in the wonderful, what do we call it, a mini-series of podcasts in the road to the ashes. Remembering we have ball-by-ball ball commentary of the ashes here on SENZ. Make sure you get the app so you can listen to that in the wee smalls. Um, game three of the Denver-Miami NBA what do you call it, championship series, was yesterday in Miami. Denver got the chocolates. Finn Basimo, who's in for Sam Hewitt today, is a feral NBA fan. Finn, did you watch every play of every second yesterday's match? Start to finish, every play. And what a game it was, Staff. Um, so they won in Miami. That's usually a big, big tick for credentials to win the whole thing. Absolutely. Well, I mean, the Heat also won in Denver, though. You've got to remember that. So so they've both won a one away from home, and the next one's in Miami again. Yeah. So can Miami stop them now? I think they can still win the next game because I think Jokic had probably one of the most insane performances I've ever seen. 30 points, 20 rebounds, and 10 assists. That is nuts. Yeah, it is nuts. Um, we re- I found a stat yesterday that in playoffs, let me get this right, in playoffs, ten point, first half of a playoff game, 10 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists. That was his ninth time he'd done that, and only two players have done it three times. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. He's generational. Ante Tecompu and LeBron, and they've only done it three times. And he's done it nine times. Um, where, where does he rank? Like, if, if you're putting together your all-star five, how far away is he from, like, being one of your top couple? Like, current or all-time? Current. Current, honestly, Steph, I think he he might be the best player in the world right now. Really? Genuinely. You've gone I, there. I think Jokic currently is probably the best NBA player or just basketball player in the world right now. And just by those stats, he he can shoot. He can shoot from range. His offense and defense rebounds, um, travels the floor, offloads when the shot's not over. For, for me, when you see a guy with so many points and so many assists, is he a guy that judges someone's got a better position than me, so I'll give up the shot? Yeah, because he, is, if he, he generates so much attention from the rest of the team. So he'll catch it in the post, and they're going to throw two, three guys at him, and he just has incredible court vision. He's kicking it out to people like Jamal Murray, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, knockdown shooters, and he just racks up assists, and that's how they grow their leads, just because he has so much attention on him, but he's got so many good players surrounding him too. Mm, mm. Very nice. Um, I'm going to ask you to vote on something out there, people. I told a match-fixing story just before the news, if you've just joined us, about Ranfilly Shield game, uh, which was quite funny many, many years ago. Um, Ian said I told that before so I will tell another one at some stage during the show today so Ian you're my watchdog okay have I told the one about the Malaysian football team have I told the one about the World Cup football opening game one have I told the one about the honey trap involved in cricket it's happened twice Ian you can be my guide Um, if any of those ring your bells or you'd like to hear them, you can text him through double <laughs> three. I actually briefly mentioned um, drop goals. Like I've often said, actually, can I tell? I've often said 
I think I have said this one before. I presented to New Zealand Sport Conference well, quite a few years ago now, and I did say that if I wanted to fix matches, what's, what would I do in New Zealand? And I said sevens because some of the – you've got to find athletes or teams that are really good at sport, really good in their sport and in tournaments that don't have any money. Now, I'm not casting aspersions that you could get Fiji to throw a game or Samoa or, or, really, or a good enough sevens team. But that's where I'd start. And you could go to the Fiji team saying lose to Spain, you still make it through the playoffs, 10 grand each. You're coughing up 120 grand for coaches and players. I can make 250 grand, make 10 grand at 25 bookmakers. No one would know. They won't tell, I won't tell. Bookmakers don't know because it's not a huge liability. Um, I think it's died down a little bit Australasia-wise because there's really good monitoring systems involved now so there's a thing called sport radar and bet radar and so if you start getting action on one game it's all fed into an independent voice bet radar and they'll just say gosh just in the last hour there's all of these bets being placed on bookmakers around the world unbeknownst to them because they're just one organization but it's all being monitored out of that and they'll just send out an alert so it's pretty tricky there is one bookmaker set up in a country <laughs> where bookmaking is actually illegal, except for a hundred meter block in the capital city of this country, it's illegal in there, and that's where a bookmaker is set up. They pay big tax, they pay a fee to the government to be allowed to operate out of there, and that's where all the money goes through. That what would you call it? Uh, match fixing, washing machine money. They're a bookmaker that operate on massive turnover and 0.5% profit on turnover. They're still out there. I still look them up. They're still there. Probably the best odds in the world, but geez, they'll be shut down or I just wouldn't trust it. Um, but you know how you have an even match at the moment and it might be 188 each or 190 each. They have a dollar ninety eight each. 198, 198, there's no room for, there's no wiggle room. But that bookmaker is set up in a country where betting is illegal except for one building has dispensation to run it and the government do very nicely out of it. Happy days. Happy days. <laughs> Still to come, uh, Jeremy Paul, you can start texting those through actually. Questions for Jeremy Paul, we'll get in nice and early. Um and I'm going to reverse it this time and hit him with questions early because I always run out of time with JP. Any questions you got for him on Super Rugby this weekend? Big Rugby League fan as well is JP, so that'll be just after 2 o'clock. So get your questions in for him. We'll be talking to Tim Mills about the changing um, landscape at the Canterbury Jockey Club ahead of Cup Week, which is in November. Where are we now? June, five months away. The main grandstand has come down. Um... What's it going to look like? I'm, I'm picking maybe awesome lawn area, big marquees, all that sort of stuff. Um, so we'll talk to Tim Mills. Also going to talk to Mr. B. Who's Mr. B? He's the biggest Man City fan in the world. Biggest Man City fan in the world. And he's in Tenerife at the moment. And they have a Tenerife Man City Football Supporters Club. And if he doesn't go to their game, he goes to Tenerife to be with all those lads. It's cheapest chips to go from, he lives in London, but he flies to Tenerife. Been to Tenerife, pretty cool place. So we'll talk to him 
as well. And um, Fimpasimo will flex his arms and muscles and give us what's making news later on. But we'll take a break now. Right after the break, Steve Harmison and Simon O'Donnell, the wonderful Road to Ashes podcast, which is on our podcast app, we've picked out one particular piece, which is when they had a chat to a former English spin bowler, well-known around the world in the cricketing circles, Monty Panesar. That will be on after this. Welcome back to Road to the Ashes. Thanks to Australian Made. Look for the green and gold kangaroos. Simon O'Donnell, Steve Harmison with you. I mean, I'm pretty excited. We've got one of your good mates coming on and you've um, you've spent time with him out in the cricket field. You've spent time with him uh, journeying around the world, journeying around parts of England. And I reckon you might have a pretty good rapport with him. And I talk of Monty Panesar, former England spin bowling great, who joins us on Road to the Ashes. Uh, Monty, fantastic to have you on board today. I've never met you. I've always wanted to, and I'm bloody pleased to be able to look at you and say g'day. Thanks, mate. Thank you for having me on the show. And, yeah, it's a good, good to say good day to you as well. It's a big couple of months coming up uh, with the with the Ashes. We'll, we'll stick get past the the, um, the World Test Championship just for the minute and stick with uh, the, the Ashes and what's ahead. What Your favourite Ashes memory for you, what... what what is it? Uh, probably, I think that one of my favourite memories, you know, like probably was, um, you know, playing that first test match at Perth and, you know, obviously I took five wickets, but then um, just the contest with Gilchrist, really. I remember getting him out sort of second ball. He, he, he had a massive stride and he sort of gloved it. And then I thought, what's the big fuss about Adam Gilchrist? You know, everyone <laughs> thinks he's like, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread. And, you know, he's, he's not very good against left arm spin. And then in the second innings, when he got 100, probably the quickest, second quickest 100 in Test cricket, I kind of realised how good this guy was. I think he hit me for four sixes in one over. And then Freddie came up to me and goes, Monty, I think uh, that's that's done. I, th- I don't think you're going to bowl another over. So uh, I soon realised how good Adam Gilchrist was. Was Harmy much help to you when that carnage was going on? I, I wouldn't have seen him coming to give you a hand at any stage while that was happening, Monty. No, I did. No, I, did. All, I did. Not. I did. I did. I told you to start bowling darts because them them four sixes went all over my head. I said a couple of weeks ago, the roof of my mouth was sunburned watching them go into the stand. But you, when you when you, I remember having a conversation with you during that that spell and that time, and looking you in the eyes and going, "This month, this is what this is what the big time is. This is what Ashes cricket is all about." Yeah, yeah, I, I, I remember, you know, you're, you're talking to me about it and um, the instant, the one thing I really, um, like, caught me straight away was, like, the way Harmy or even Andrew Flintoff, you know, some of the other guys like Kevin Peterson, once you put them into, like, an England shirt again, in an, uh, against the Australians, immediately they'll switch into this sort of, um, you know, that's it, we, we're really competitive, we've got to get this guy out and you're really on top of the, the batsman straight away. And that one thing I realised, I thought to myself, you know, one was really apparent how quickly you guys just switched into that competitive mode. Instantly, once, you know, it was sort of Ashes cricket, it was just the contrast difference, you know, for me, how relaxed you guys were off the field. But on the field, it was just like, right, you know, it's that killer instinct just quickly switched on. And we, we, Monday, we lost 5-0 and probably deserved to lose 5-0 because of the teams that were on show at that time and how well Australia played in and how difficult it is to win in Australia. But winning in England, you won, you won in Australia in 10-11, but winning in England was was a little bit easier. We felt as always a bit easier for us and we were obviously a lot more comfortable in our own back garden. 
but you have to get off to a good start. And a good start was Cardiff. And just just talk us through what happened at Cardiff in that last sort of hour and people running on and running off and what Jimmy Anderson was like and what Ricky Ponton was saying to you, what you can say, obviously, live on radio, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, like, well, obviously, you know, I think, um, you know, when I went out to bat, I thought, well, you know, I average four, I think one inside edge and another outside edge, and then the third ball, I'm out. You know, that's how good my batting is. So for me to, like, go to Cardiff and actually, um, you know, save that test match, I think Jimmy was kind of helping me how to uh, play against the seamers, and I was kind of helping him against the spin. You know, I always said to him, you know, when the ball goes past you and it turns, don't just follow it. Just hold the line of the bat because he won't edge it. And um, it kind of helped him. And he and I actually remember in the lead up before the test match, um, Andrew, Andy Flower said, we need batting buddies. We need the tail to wag a little bit. So Paul Collingwood obviously was my batting buddy. And he said, have a short back lift. Keep your hands close to you. Um, watch the ball. And uh, also protect your stumps. So if it's at, at your stumps, play nice and straight. But if it's going past your nose, drop your hands quickly and just watch the ball. And it kind of, that's all, that's all I was thinking in my mind. I thought, right, at the stumps, play straight. If it's short, just duck out of the way. And that's it. So I had two pieces of information to follow. And I just did that, really. I didn't really think about drawing the test match. And every ball went by. I looked at Ricky Ponting's face and he wouldn't say anything. He would just look at me and just probably under his breath think, you know, what is this guy doing, you know, batting here and trying to, like, I can't get him out. It's probably one of the worst number 11s I've played in my career and I can't seem to get this guy out during the Ashes. So um, I think he was probably uh, rather annoyed with me. I'm sure there would have been some words of encouragement from the Australians. Um, <laughs> who was sort of the most vocal while that period of time was happening in the Test match? Yeah, look, there's Peter Siddle telling me a few things. Uh, I think one went past my nose. He goes, the next one's going to hit you on the head. And uh, he bowled a Yorker, you know, he's like trying to double bluff me every time. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, like oh, his bat sponsor's not going to be happy. You know, you look at him, he's trying to save a test match for England. Oh, he's going to get a huge fine for that. And I remember that test match. I was going to get the bat stickers for the following test match at Lords. But um, that ended up being my only home test match in England. I, don't, I didn't play another home test match after mm-hmm. that. Um, all the other ones were away. So, uh, yeah, they didn't say too much. They weren't too vocal. But I think um, I think it was just, you know, little pieces of things like what Andy Flower was good at. He was able to spot weaknesses in our team and areas where we need to get better at. And, and the tail was one area. And that was probably the starting point where we thought, right, you know, England want to become number one team in 24 months. They did it in 18, and that was probably that catalyst gave that self-belief to everyone that actually any given situation, we can draw a test match or any given situation, we can sort of come out of it and win and, you know, that over-my-dead-body kind of uh, attitude. So um, that's when things started to go really well for England after that. What do you think, uh, looking at the squad coming into this Ashes Monty, we've had Jack Leach, unfortunately, been ruled out with injury and a stress fracture in his lower back. Knowing the the England spinners and still staying involved in cricket as you have done since you retired, what are you sort of seeing as a, a possible outlet from a spin point of view during the Ashes? Is there a fresh face about? Well, I think um, there's, there's, there's no like frontline spinners at the moment that are going to compete with Jack Leach. And if they look at a like-for-like like replacement, then it'd probably be someone like Liam Dawson, who can bowl a little bit, do a look, you know, bat and, you know, do a good job, control one end. I think that's what 
Ben Stokes will probably want. He wants someone who can give him 15, 20 overs, control one end. And the same thing with Moen Ali. He could be the other guy that they look up to as a frontline spinner. Because at some point, they will need a frontline spinner, maybe at Old Trafford at the Oval. And before that, they've got obviously um, a few four-day games coming coming along. You know, I think June the 11th, they've got uh, there where they may see the likes of Will Jacks, Moen Ali, all of them sort of been given a game and see how they uh, how they're bowling because you know at Edgebaston I don't know they may just may not even go with a frontline spinner you know may just uh, you know don't be surprised if the Australians see an extra inch of grass on Thursday on the Edgebaston wicket because there isn't a spinner there and uh, it keeps the likes of Jimmy Anderson Stuart Broad in the game throughout the whole Test match um, you know that could be a strategy Ben Stokes may think you know what I may just have to reverse it now and 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 produce sort of Seema friendly pitches because we just don't have a frontline spinner at the moment or even if they do um the Australians will go look to our look to go after him as well you know psychologically so I just I don't know if they should play um uh, should have flat wickets I just think maybe they should uh, play home advantage to to the England seamers and Mont, you talk about you know the spinner somebody you know very very well he, he said he fell out of love with test cricket um didn't enjoy playing test cricket there's a lot of talk in England at this minute in time, bringing Moen, Moen Ali back. You know Moen. Um, one, would you bring him back? And two, where do you think Moen's sort of mindset is at this moment in time? Can he get ready for 10 days' time if he is picked to go into the first Test match? Well, I think the first question I asked Moen is, are you 100% committed you know, to come back and play? You know, Do you, do you still want to play Red Bull cricket? And uh, how is your stock delivery? You know, Are you ready to bowl 20 to 30 overs? in the first innings or, um, you know, we want 40 overs out of you in a test match. Are you able to do that? And if the answer is yes, then I would play him on June the 11th, you know, where they, they've got a game at Edgebaston, I think it's Warwickshire, do have a first-class game there. Play him there, see how he's playing, because if he's got the appetite, and like you said, if he's still got love for Red Bull cricket, then put him in four-day cricket and see how he's bowling, you know, if he really wants to play Ashes cricket. And I just think that's what they should do. And there's a few first-class games, you know, before that, you know, through um, each test matches. And and that gives time for England, for the likes of Rob Key to assess and think, right, do we bring a spinner in or not? Um, but they but they may just go the other way. Where Chennai, he's been with Ben Stokes, like Chennai Super Kings, and he'll say, look, we were part of a winning IPL team. We know how we're going to, we know how to win. Uh, at the moment, maybe that winning momentum is needed in the England team right now. And, you know, because the first test match is at Edgebaston, Moen, are you ready to play? If his answer is yes, right, he'll probably then play that first test match, even not, uh, you know, playing the first class game. Did, did you feel robbed in a way that you weren't batting number 10 for England and you were batting behind Steve Harmison? <laughs> I always thought Steve Harmson never had, uh, you know, he, he never had it, had it as a batsman. He used to have his, <laughs> G, uh, his, his, his gun and more kit. He, 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 first of all, he didn't have, first of all, he didn't know how to hold a bat, let's be honest. You know, he was in the dressing room. He didn't know how to hold a bat, right? But then, secondly, <laughs> like, he, he would think he could hit big sixes and, you know, he, he would be like, yeah, you know, I, I could do a job here. But I was like, come on, Steve, let me be at 10. Let me take on the sort of new ball. And then you come in at 11. And then, you know, 
I'll give you a strike, you know, five balls and then, you know, you can have one ball or something like that. You know, get a, get off strike and then let me build an innings. But unfortunately, the role's reversed. And I think whenever I see Steve Harmson, I always feel like I robbed him of a first ever 50 in Test cricket, which he deserved to have. He batted so, so well at the Oval. And um, I just, he, he got to 49 and uh, unfortunately didn't get his 50. So I, I feel like I... I you know, he deserves at least one first class, <laughs> one Test fifty. So I, mean, I didn't want him to. I didn't want him to hit sixes and fours. I just want him to run one more run. <laughs> <laughs> that was a run out, wasn't it? Yeah, I wasn't thing. very good with my running. <laughs> yeah, I think me and him's the mum have something in common. We both were very <laughs> slow off the mark. <laughs> oh. We we have a uh, we we've had a bit of a joke over the journey because Harmy's highest Test score is. Um, is uh, bigger than mine, and I used to try and bat at number seven, uh, Monty. So uh, that's how bad a player I was. And be assured, before you came on, the only reason you were able to come on that your top score is twenty six in Test cricket and wasn't above forty eight. Because if it was above forty eight, <laughs> you wouldn't be anywhere near this podcast tonight. <laughs> Absolutely, I think uh, Harmy selects his uh, guests, the guys who have had lower test score than him and batted below him as well. And I seem to fit that bill immediately. So uh, I can see why I'm on this podcast. And you're an absolute beauty, Mont. Your prediction for the Ashes series? Well, it depends. If I've got an Australian asking me, then uh, I'll say 5-0 to England. But then, uh, obviously, if I've got to be realistic... We're going to be like that, are we? I think Ben Stokes is going to produce some entertaining cricket, I'll be honest with you. He's going to be brilliant. He's going to... His captaincy decision-making is what is going to, everyone's going to be talking about. I just edge England. I think it'll be 3-2. Every game's going to be a result. Hopefully, the weather won't be that great. I think England will just edge it 3-2. Right. Great to hear from you, Monty. We look forward to... Um... Uh, to hearing from you again as that tour goes on because, and I want to hear more about the run out, but I want to hear it in person somewhere when I'm over in the UK about <laughs> how you run out of Army for 49. I think that's absolutely brilliant. We should replicate it maybe somewhere outside <laughs> Regent's Park or something when we're going for that run. What a very Monty, the ball would have to go for nearly four <laughs> for me and you to run another single, especially the size of me at the minute. Good on you, Monty. Panasar joining us there. Um, what uh, a wonderful thrill to to be chatting to him and knowing that, you know, the bloke that just stopped Harmy from getting a half-century of test half-century. I'd just, I'd be sick if Steve Harmson had a test half-century. It just wouldn't happen. <laughs> this is Road to the Ashes. Thanks to Australian Made. Look for the green and gold kangaroo. We'll be back with more shortly. TOB time now, tob.co.nz, or download the app for this, where all the in-play promotions are. You have to be 18 or more. And do it with your head screwed on, responsibly. Brenda Popperwell joins us. Welcome in, Pops. Um, Rumour has it that you're, you came second in the tipping competition worldwide. <laughs> I did, Steph, yes. Um Wow, uh, I, I really did think there was another couple of weeks to go, unfortunately, in the SCNZ tipping comp, and I was gearing up to pick the Blues and maybe pick the Brumbies uh, to try and get a, a point. But no, it was all done last weekend. So yeah, good fun. It was nice to get a nice little roll on and gain that second spot. Well, I'm not going to ask you for your odds. I'm asking you for tips then in the Super Rugby. Go the point starts. The point starts. We'll do them one well, at a time. We'll do them quickly because you're just a fountain of knowledge in rugby now, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> Look, this point starts against the Waratahs, uh, the Blues and the Waratahs. 
18 and a half. It, it almost gets me with the Waratahs at the dollar 87 uh, against the Blues. So look, I'll, I'll be happy to take that in, in a quarterfinal matchup with the Waratahs. Uh, the second one, I think the, the Chiefs and the Reds, uh, Chiefs all day, uh, and that one at a 4.30 afternoon game. Yep. Where's that line currently sit with the Chiefs? Uh, 22 and a half. That's 185. It's been backed as well. Uh, same with the Crusaders line. Happy to take wherever that sits against the Drua. Uh, the line in that one is 22 and a half. And I'll be happy to take the Brumbies. As I said, I think they, they can go close. So wherever the line is there with the Brumbies. Yes, yeah, probably one or two, etc. Um, we haven't got a lot. You'll like this. We're going live to Tenerife very shortly. Heck of a heck of a time of night. But um, talking about Man City. Uh, in fact, tell us that. The Champions League final. Uh, Man City are against, uh, is it Inter, Inter yeah. Milan? Yeah. 140. Uh, everyone's just dub- doubling up, tripling up, uh, as you could say, around Man City. So it's, it's one-way traffic here. There's nobody wants to even touch the $6.50 on Inter or even the draw, which is $4.50. So uh, 140, it is running through a fountain of multis that are just saying they just want to take it into the Warriors at 260 Yes, the Warriors who have blown out to $2.60, and there's been good support too. Uh, for the Manly Seagulls, which has been supported in multis. But, yep, Man City to lift the cup. Uh, well, not to lift the cup, to win at forty. Uh, to lift the cup at $1.21. Of course, if it goes to extra time. Extra time or penalties. All right, Pops, we do have to scoot. Uh, have a fantastic weekend. Cheers, Daffy. All good, mate. There he is, Brendan Popperwell, tab.co.nz. That's where it all is, the previews, the race results. Um, there's tips. Go to the Punters Lounge. It's at the bottom. It's at the bottom on the left-hand side. Um, that's where all the in-play promotions, your, your booster odds, uh, your same-game claims, all that sort of stuff. So trb.co.nz. Right, we'll take a break. On the other side of this, Mr B is a massive Man City fan. We're talking to him from Tenerife at the Tenerife, I think the Tenerife Man City Football Supporters Club, something like that. He'll explain after the break. It's a big old game in the Champions League this weekend. We're a team that have struggled for a number of years, but the last few, they've been absolutely flying Manchester City, the Blue Boys. And I'm joined by, I think, the biggest fan of Man City I've ever met. We're going live to Tenerife, of all places, to talk to Mr. B. Mr. B, how you doing? Oh, I'm great, Mark. I can't believe it. I cannot believe it. I'm like... uh... The atmosphere in Tenerife is absolutely buzzing. It's crazy. There's this Tenerife Man City Supporters Club, which is basically a load of old blokes that have lived here for years, that have lived and breathed Manchester City. In every game, you go to the bar that overlooks the sea and watch the game. And uh, it's absolutely... Oh, no, no, everyone's nervous about the game um, because... Uh, you know, through everything we've ever experienced, uh, we've been all, always overshadowed by Man United. And if we could do the treble on, you know, winning the Champions League, there's no way they could say anything anymore. Is the Champions League the jewel in the crown? Like if I'd said to you pre-season, you could win one of uh, the Premier League, the FA Cup or the Champions League. Is this the big one? Oh, it's beyond the shadow of a doubt. I think... Uh, the Champions League is the one that no one gives us credit. It's like we've won five Premier Leagues out of the last six years and everyone 
that gets everyone that says that's a Man City fan or that gets told for other clubs, especially Man United, is like unless you win the Champions League, you won't be considered a great team. And and no matter no matter how much we've been successful, which we have, and I'm like it's beyond my wildest dreams. I could die a happy man right now with what we've done. And but to to ram it down their throats to win the Champions League would mean the world. So it's all about how you make the um, how you make the man's uh, Man United fans feel. Is that the big one? Is that you've won it and Man you haven't? All right, put it this way: I've recently just turned fifty, right? And probably for the first twenty odd years of my life, you know, I suffered depression every weekend at three o'clock on a Saturday. <laughs> you know, like uh, Man City, like my my childhood was spent cursing my dad for bringing him up as a Man City fan uh, because it was like literally three o'clock the game kicks off and of course what happens we lose on average if we won three or four five games in a season that would be considered a success and my dad's words were like well it's always better to support the underdog because when you when you have a high you have a high and you win and like you don't expect it, and I'm like that's how my child was brought up. And like everywhere I went as a kid, I'm just like being from Manchester. There was uh, 90 million red shirts around, and just me and a Man City top. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the resurgence of you know you call them the Blue Boys, the resurgence of them. Like, do you feel like you embrace them even more because of years of years of tough times? means you haven't taken the good times for granted? Oh, we'll never take anything for granted. Never, ever take anything for granted. Uh, and that, that's the whole point, really. I mean, uh, the, the levels of success that we've had, uh, well, I never thought it would happen. I mean, you know, as a kid, I was just like overjoyed that we won a game, you know. Um, <laughs> but now the level of where we're at is just uh, an extraordinary level. And I think there's, um, there's been a bit, a bit of snobbery and... Uh, there's a bit of cartel um, club football from the years with Man United, Real Madrid, Inter Milan, uh, the Milan clubs, Bayern Munich, Liverpool, um, Arsenal. So there's been like, uh, they've been dining at the top table for such a long time. And, uh, you know, for me, the rules of uh, financial fair play and other things, they're designed to stop any other club trying to sort of... Uh, be able to sort of win trophies and uh, with the way we're doing it what we've done it's just um, it's just well for me it's a thing of bloody beauty that's what it is it's a thing of bloody beauty and uh, all, all all I'm saying is I just think uh, yeah I mean this is just the icing on the cake that you know Man United did the treble in 1999 and all of her from my friends that are Man United fans since 1999 is you'll never do the the treble, you'll never do anything, and uh, nothing will give me greater more pleasure. First and foremost, obviously, obviously from Man City, um, which is like I never thought what to be European champions is unheard of. You, you never talk about Man City or Europe in, in, in the same uh, sentence, really. But to actually do it would be—I don't know. I mean, as I said earlier, you know, I could die a happy man because it doesn't really get any bigger than that. I'm to add onto everything of the, the years of uh, banter between Man United fans. 
they won't be able to say it anymore, and I'll be absolutely laughing my ass off if we manage to pull it off. <laughs> <laughs> with, all, with all of those years of struggle, and as you say, you just celebrate a win and you'd celebrate a draw even against Chelsea or Arsenal or Tottenham and that sort of thing, does yeah. it still make you, you know, you've won the league, you've won the FA Cup, are you still looking over your shoulder going, like, Cam, do I dare to dream? Do, do you have fear going into this weekend or do you believe? I I always believe, but the fear overtakes the belief because uh, I, I was guarding my childhood with even being 3 0 up and then we'd end up losing 4 3. It's like I know what the fear's like. So no matter what time of the game, no matter if we're winning, you know, if it's 2 or 3 0 or anything, until that final whistle goes, because it's been uh, it's been torturous as, as a once you start thinking you've won in my mind um, then what happens is then we end up losing the game so that's what I remember as a child so until it's actually done and the fear factor even though we've won all these things even if we're winning two nil I still worried that they're going to score three. I <laughs> know <laughs> it's unbelievable, isn't it? But that's the mindset. The, the mindset of the Man City fans is like, everything's based on fear, really. I mean, we don't know how to celebrate success, but I think Man City fans, they're, they're not goaders. They're not sort of, uh, they uh, don't lord it over people like Man United fans or Liverpool fans are going, oh, you've not won this, you've not won that. We're more like... Uh, we still can't believe we've actually won anything. So, and also we're like, uh, we, you know, as as uh, Kiwis are, and and how sport should be. You know, you, you congratulate people when they, uh, you know, when the, the opposing team wins or you know you lose. But over here in the UK, there's such a fierce sort of uh, volatile ha ha ha. We're better than you, and and uh, I just think just just for this once, so if this is the only thing we ever win ever again you know I'm more than happy with that I'm, I've always been more more than happy with what we've ever done now I've never thought in my lifetime this would even be achievable but uh, it's all about Saturday and that's that's the massive one absolutely massive and you know hopefully we'll we'll get a bit more credit than uh, perhaps you know you know a lot of the media and, and say you're not considered a great team until you've won the Champions League and we were close a couple of years ago when we got to our first ever Champions League final I don't know what's the word they choked I think they might have choked it didn't do anything so hopefully the hurt and disappointment from that can uh, spur us over the line uh, come Saturday so you're and my brother's gone so my brother's left Tenerife today yeah. at past four this morning and he's uh, he's going straight from Tenerife to Istanbul <laughs> Wow, he's so, there. Uh, he's there. Oh my god! Yeah, he's there. He's got a ticket. He's there. You know, I'm like, uh, so it'll be great. But come Saturday night, I'm going to be in Tenerife, uh, at Paul's uh, Cabin Reef Bar, overlooking the sea with about, you know, I don't know, probably sixty, seventy Man City fans, all in our blue shirts, a sea of red. Because there's going to be balloons. We've got flares. The game don't kick off at eight, eight so obviously everyone's going to be boozing early doors, and then. Uh, you know, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be, well, hopefully, Blue Moon ri- Rising. <laughs> blue Moon Rising see the, over it, the ocean. Blue Moon Rising. You can see the moon. This is why I think it's fake, because you can see the moon from the beach that we overlook. So, uh, 
Oh, mate, I, I wish I was there with you. And just to see 70 or 80-year-old bloke, uh, 70 or 80 middle-aged blokes with pop bellies in Man City shirts just jumping and chanting. And I think there'll be tears, Mr B, if you win. Well, I, I'm only getting emotional on this call, but guaranteed I'm going to cry like a baby if it actually comes true. And uh, that would be... Uh... I don't know whether that because of the 10 pints I would have had previously. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it'll be a massive emotional moment, you know, and uh, it's significant as well because this guy, my dad, Bashy's here. He loves to he's been over here. And so there's a little, uh, you think of, uh, he would be uh, love to have seen this game, you know. As a man, he, throughout all his uh, life, he loves sport, but he always decided to support an underdog a team that never won anything never did anything and it was always a, a passion of sort of you know for him it, it was like take the wins because they mean so much more because you know life is full of ups and downs so he said the power of a win even if it's just a game is more than winning a cup and the fact that we're doing what we're doing now is just something extraordinary and uh, yeah I'm already fearing the hangover Sunday, come what may. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, um, I know you'll enjoy it. Um, I just from the bottom of my heart for you, but even more so for your dad, mate, that you you'll be channeling him in there and your his ashes in Tenerife. Um, just I've just got all I can say is up the mighty blue boys, mate. All right, come on, the blue boys, come on. Hopefully, we can do it. I'll, re- I'll report back and uh. Maybe not too early if you want me back on after the uh, after the game. And uh, I'll send some pictures through as well, yeah? Yeah, brilliant, <laughs> mate. Thanks, Mr. B. Oh, cheers. Thanks, thanks, Mark. You take care. Blue Moon Rising, everyone. Blue Moon Rising. With Staffy on SENZ. Um, <clears throat> do you support a football team... Finn Basimo, you don't, no, you don't. I'll tell you what, we've got some text messages from Man City fans and non-Man City fans. Uh, Brad says, my ears are bleeding listening to this oil FC fan. I finally understand what you mean by that. Um, look, full disclosure, <clears throat> here's my brother-in-law. Um, and it's just incredible to watch because I don't really have an affiliation to any English Premier League side. The only one, sort of, is Fulham, because that's the only home game I've been to in the Premier League. But um, watching him watch a Man City game is like nothing else. <clears throat> and it could be against Blackburn or anyone, and they win, and he is jumping around the lounge at 4 o'clock in the morning. It's a sight to behold. Never seen someone so invested in a team. And because he's my bro-in-law... And he's had a tough few years. I do hope that they get this Champions League and he can have a little bit of delight on the beach with his dad's ashes. Fantastic. Champions League, 7 o'clock Sunday morning. Questions for Jeremy Paul? Get them in. Just gone, 2 o'clock. Great to have your company. Remember, uh, the run home. Kimberly Downs is back in New Zealand after a 
five-year honeymoon overseas, so she'll be co-hosting with Beaver from three till six. I just found a very interesting stat that I'm going to ask Jeremy Paul if he can relate to, or did he even know? Um, uh, Jeremy Paul, so get your text messages in, double eight, double three. A lot, a lot of guests don't like us asking questions of the listeners to ask our guests. Jeremy Paul loves it. So get your text in, double eight, double three, because it's time. It's time for the Jeremy Paul Show with your hosts, Mark Stafford and Jeremy Paul. Jeremy Paul Show. Yes, here he is. Uh, I don't know where they are. Are you on a uh, bit of a, um, you know, y- you're filling your pockets this Friday as well, JP? Nah, bro, just at work. Um, just in the city actually saying goodbye to my boss. Oh. Might have, have to have a couple of uh, beverages. No, he finished up today, so got a couple of the big bosses in town, so I had to journey into the city and tidy myself up, bro. Yes, fair enough. Um, something completely non-sport related. Do you know how many children Rod Stewart's got? Uh, probably three less than me. He's got eight. Um, He's got eight. Oh, that he knows of. Eight um, children to how many women? Oh, I would I would have thought at least four different mums. Five. Five. And the wow. uh, the oldest daughter is fifty-nine and the youngest child is twelve. He's been producing wow. for forty-seven years. <laughs> Man, that is it. I thought my bell curve from eighteen to of newborn was big. His bell curve is ridiculous. <laughs> Mate. That is Mate, he's for he. Thank God he's rich. I tell you what, he'd be just constantly broke. Oh, oh my God! He's just put his house on the market in Beverly Hills, a uh, hundred and fifteen million dollars. He's leaving yeah, US. Says it's too toxic. Right, questions. Legend, questions for JP. Um, which order shall I do these in? Uh, this is the great man Dave from Waiheke Island. Uh, question for JP. Does he think the Brumbies will lose by 20 to 30 points or does he think it will be more? <laughs> Go the Canes. <laughs> well, that was a bit harsh. That's um, a harsh one. <laughs> remember, we're playing at home. Remember, yes. we're playing at home. Um, look, that no, they picked, they picked their side, right? Look, the, the captain, Alatoa, is injured at the moment, but... Um, it's it's the number one team, and I look. I they haven't gained the momentum I would like to have seen the Brumbies gain going into this finals weekend. But um, obviously, World Cup year, having international protocols and resting players. Um, but I think I think being at home is the deal breaker here for for the Brumbies and. Um, Having finals footy at Bruce at like, well, it's not Bruce Stadium anymore, at GIO Stadium. It's it just it gives you that extra five to ten points. It really does. And mm. I just think um, that bruising encounter last week too between the Canes and the Crusaders, it, it can go either way, right? They can either gain a lot of confidence from that because they beat the Crusaders, but there's gonna be some tired bodies, man. Some real tired bodies. Um, that was one hell of a physical clash. So, no, no. Look, I, I think the Brumbies will win. Look, I, th- I think they will. They'll they'll actually put a performance together, and um, they have been showing glimpses. So, 
No, I think I think I think the Brumbies will win. Got a few questions on that game actually. Uh, Debrasini over Lolasio. Uh, is that a vote of no confidence in Lolasio on the big stage? Mate, I, I would have thought the kid might have under Stephen Larkin, right? Like he's obviously, I thought he would have come along further this year, but he's obviously still. Um, still in his development. And I think the fact he got picked at such a young age potentially didn't reflect where he was actually in his development. And I'm talking with the Wallabies, right? Like, cause there was a few injuries. Um, but you, look, he's still only 22 years old. Like we, cause he has placed test footy and he's been around for a few years now. I think there's this unfair, I suppose, um, view on on young Noah on, on where he should be at um, but obviously um, Stephen Larkin being one of the greatest tens of all time has gone with with um, Depresini he's got a big boot on him and he's been a lot more physical at that 10 area right like so no I think it's a good choice um, one from me I don't know how much of the hurricanes you've watched but Braden Yossi is getting the start at number eight after two very good performances keeping Duplessis Karifi on the bench Adi Savia into the seven jersey so I'm just saying watch that seven eight combination JP for the oh, hurricanes mate, that eight he scored a beautiful try off the back of the scrum that's the mm. young kid you're talking about yeah oh, yeah yes. hey, he's deceptively quick isn't he <laughs> like he was like very very for a big boy yeah yeah. He moved across the ground really, really quickly, and I think, I think that's the balance. Like, so every the best back rows I ever played with, there was balance. Like, especially when you had someone like, and when you had to pick guys like Phil War and George Smith, it didn't give you the balance. And I think that's what's been happening with Artie Sevilla. Um, they need to take they need to take the work workload off Artie. So when he does do those inspirational runs or you, you'll always find he'll play a big moment, man, within the game. And I just think if by freeing him up and giving this young kid who's in a bit of form, man, he's in really, really, really good form. So, no, I, I like that choice. Um, oh, mate, Ken, he texts every week. Ken! Uh, <laughs> uh, do you give any of the Aussie teams a chance? So you obviously think the Brumbies will win. But amongst the others, uh, and don't talk riddles, says Ken. <laughs> Oh, he's dropped out. Has he dropped out? You pushed something then. I saw the whole page move, Finn Basimo. Oh, it shows that he's still online. Maybe he didn't like the, the, didn't like the question, Ken. I'll keep it there for him. Um, just while we get him back. We'll get him back. Um, just on the Man City thing. I don't know if he can reuse that code or not. Oh, no, he's ringing back. Just quickly on that Man City thing, saying, I'm not a Man City fan, but all the people that hate Man City, there is a lot of teams that spend a lot of money, but they're not as good as Man City. Credit goes to the coach. That's from Chris on City. Sorry, um, bro. I, I went to go and check. I, I had to just double check, and I obviously call in on the, on the, on the uh, internet side of things. <laughs> oh, and it closed know, it. it, stopped. it cut, yeah, it cuts me out. But anyway, Ken, I would be more worried about the Blues this weekend against the Waratahs. Like the Waratahs with Michael Hooper finishing up, look, I know they were a bit disappointing last week. They should have won that game, but they're a side. If they can put things together, they can score points, and they're a young, enthusiastic team. So they're playing with they're playing with absolute freedom, where they don't they don't 
they're not expected to win. Mm. Um, and the Blues coming off a 16-9 win against the Highland, they just not, have not performed this year, the Blues, to where I thought they'd be. So, no, I th- I'm, no I'm definitely giving the Waratahs a chance. Um, yeah, no, the Reds, oh, can't, oh can't look, have on their da- look, on their day, though, right? They did go over to over to uh, the Chiefs and beat the Chiefs in New Zealand because um, they just tackled and tackled and tackled. If they can replicate that, yeah, maybe. But no, the Brumbies will win for sure. I'm just wondering if anyone from the Blues, if they do beat the Waratahs, if one of the Blues, you remember the four more years call of George Gregan? I just wonder if one of the Blues players will stand over a Waratah and say 27 more years. Cause that's, <laughs> that's how long it's been since an Aussie team has won a playoff game in New Zealand. <laughs> Oh, really? 27 years? 27 wow. years. Um, wow. More questions. Well, no one, saw, mate, no one saw the Reds beating the Chiefs after, what, nine straight? So no, that's right. You never know. Um, Irish John wants to know, how much for a handle of beer over there, JP? <laughs> <laughs> You've asked the man that will know. About the, same, about the same for a crate for a dozen long necks. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Uh, Staffy, for JP, if no Aussie, and it's a big if, teams make the playoffs for next week, what, in your opinion, needs to change for Aussie rugby at a franchise level? Look, if you look at the last two years in terms of Australia's improvement, we've improved out of sight. We're winning games in New Zealand now. Look, there has the Reds have been disappointing. Let's just state that. The Waratahs are rebuilding. I'm really liking where the Waratahs are. The Force, mate, they're only going to get better under Simon Crone as well because he's starting to develop Western Australian players. The Rebels were surprising for me this year. They actually won more games. They're young, our young um, Gordon, right? Carter Gordon, they're 10. God, what a what a little exciting player he oh, is. Oh, he is. Um, I really, yeah, I, I love him. Um and then, obviously, the ultra-consistent Brumbies. And, look, I, I, I've been watching it very closely over the last couple of years to see how we would go. And there hasn't been the blowout. Look, there's been a couple of blowouts, but nothing in comparison to previous years. So, mate, I, I don't think it's it's a reflection on where Australian rugby is if in terms of the finals because we made, like, you know, the Brumbies got ripped off in that final last year against the Blues. Ken, I know you're listening. Um <laughs> And we should have made the final, right? But in turn, I don't think it's a, an actual true reflection of where Australian rugby's at in terms of, of if they don't win in the finals. It's just the fact that the it's the consistency of playing over a whole season, which I, I believe we've constantly improved and taken a bigger step this year. So, um, that, And that's why I sort of think it's madness, you know, we, when you hear of stories of pulling the Australian teams and doing a national comp, you have to play against the best players in the world, like, and that's in New Zealand. So, oh, no, look, I, I think we're only going to get better as the years go on. Um, few NRL um, questions, JP. Obviously, people are learning how much you love the, the rugby league. Uh, some of them, I like this one. Which NRL team does Jeremy Paul support and why is it the Warriors? <laughs> <laughs> well, the most frustrating team in the world to support. Are you kidding me? Not this year. Um, so who no, is, no, who hey, is your look, NRL Oh, yeah, team? no, they're going all right this year, aren't they? Like, mm. nah, look, I love the Warriors because the Warriors are the, are the Wallabies of the, uh, 
of the NRL. Like, can you imagine if um, if the Warriors had Artie Sevier and, <laughs> and the Barrett boys or Richie Moana? And, mm. Oh, my God. Can you imagine how good the Warriors would be? Um, they get the, you know, 14th to 15th most talented kid. But now Newcastle Knights, mate, I was a big Joey supporter back in the day. And, um, yeah, I've always liked the Newcastle Knights. And the year they won their first premiership, I won my first premiership with the club I played for. Uh, we were both similar. I had never won one before. So, I don't know, there was just that that connection. And there was a couple of good Kiwis then back then, right? Tony Kemp, Johnny Schuster. Um yeah, no, there was some... Sam some Stewart? Sam Stewart, yes, 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 yes. So, um, no, there's always... And I've always liked Harrigan and, uh, no, just the old Henny Penny boys, man. I lo- love the Knights. But I think the big talk in rugby league is who's going to f- put the seven jersey on for the... Well, someone's asked Wilder. that. Put that. Someone's asked you to be origin selector. Uh, um, look, like, Happy Coruscant, Nathan Cleary. Oh, look, I, I, think, I think you have to go with Nico Hines. He was the Dalian player of the year. Came out this year when he came from injury from a calf injury in round four. He just exploded and went straight back to the form he was last year. I think they've got to they've got to give the kid an opportunity. And look, Adam Reynolds has been sensational, um, and I like the idea that's been thrown up with Adam Reynolds and and um, um, the six oh, from the Rabbits, Escape Walker, Cody Walker, because yeah. um, of their combination previously, but. I think you just you've got to give Nico Hines a go, man. I think he's proven himself by winning the Delhi M last year, being the best player in the competition. Um, he deserves his opportunity. He really does. Do you think it will change? I saw Wayne Bennett on uh, NRL 360 last yeah, night saying Adam Reynolds, yeah. just Adam Reynolds knows every blade of grass. Do you think the selection, like so much more pressure on New South Wales, must win? Oh, of course, mate, especially when you, like, as I sort of said last week, I wouldn't have changed anything with regards to the Blue, like, because they actually should have won that game. Um, they controlled that game for at least 70 minutes of that entire 80-minute performance. So there's not too much to change, just executing and icing those moments. Um, now, with Nathan Cleary being injured, there's so much more discussions and so much more pressure. Uh, on Freddie Fittler, but man, I would just you, you're taking Nathan Cleary out, who is, is is one of the best sevens in the world, and putting in the best player of the competition from last year. It should be seamless. Last one, and I don't know if you watched uh, the All Blacks under twenties and the Wallabies under twenties go at each other, because the question is, how does it make him feel for the future of the, when the junior Wallabies absolutely monstered? the under-20 New Zealand team at set-piece, which they did. If you didn't see it, boy, the forwards in their under-20s Wallabies looked massive. Yeah, and, and you know, that, that's actually been happening over the last few years. I think, it's, I think it's a really good comparison of where we're going to go, but it's about keeping these young players. The issue is, bro, is we're losing them overseas or we're losing them to other codes. And... We're not keeping them here. You, you watch that under-20 side. like they're, they're getting offered huge money. Mate, we've got over 200 players mm. overseas at the moment. Nothing in comparison to like Fiji, I think, who have got over 1,200 players playing overseas. But you, you just that's the hard part is now keeping them and making sure we put them in the right franchise so they continue their development. They don't get stuck behind like good players 
and don't get the opportunity to play games. But they actually, we actually put them into franchises where they get footy, where they'll actually get some footy. But you know, they're big kids now, aren't they, bro? Like they're not. Man, it's not about potato scallops and 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 play the chips anymore. Like these these kids are big, powerful, and fast. Mm. Awesome, JP. Go get yourself a nutty brown frothy uh, liquid refreshment, and we'll catch up again next week, buddy. I'm going to get myself a couple of spates. There yeah, we go. boy. Yeah, boy. See you, boy. Spates, bro. Go the Brumbies. Up the Brumbies. Jerry Paul Show every Friday, 2 o'clock. Uh, on the other side of this, we're going to catch up with Tim Mills. He's the CEO of the Canterbury Jockey Club and what's going on there. And, of course, our Love Racing uh, segment here. I encourage you to grab your mates and you can get yourself on course. Visit events.loveracing.nz to find a race day near you. And I am sure... You'll see an event in Rickerton, the Canterbury Jockey Club, and joining us is the big cheese of Canterbury Jockey Club. Tim Mills joins us. G'day, Tim. G'day, Mark. Pleasure to be on the show, and I've just had a beautiful steak and cheese pie, as long as you use that word. Oh, look at that. True New Zealander. What a champion. <laughs> um, steak and cheese, that's my go-to as well. Now, Canterbury Jockey Club, I saw on Facebook on the Love Racing page, you said goodbye to a beloved, um, not a member, but but a real linchpin of Rickerton, one of the stands coming down. Yeah, sad day uh, last Saturday when the um, big demolition equipment came through. I uh, I always said the day we, we had to bring the old public grandstand, the, the Grand National Stand as we call it down, that I'd, I'd have a tear in my eye. Uh, Mark, you know, I come from the era of racing where my earliest memories were sitting on top of the public stand at Trentham watching... You know, horses like Copper Belt and Grey Way and steeplechasers like Chum Sun. Uh, the stand there was built by the Luttrell brothers who also built the big public stand at Rickerton Park. So when I shifted to Christchurch, the number of Grand National steeplechasers, New Zealand Cups, I'd always go up there to watch my own uh, horse race. But tragically, uh, the fallout of the earthquakes of some... Sounds bizarre, we're still talking about that. But uh, yes, it necessitated the grandstand coming down, um, which... We'd been spent about uh, a month and a half getting rid of the asbestos, and last Saturday the uh, the wrecking machine of Southern Demolition came through, and and she's well down, well on the road to coming down. So, what's that space going to look like for one of the greatest weeks in racing in New Zealand Cup week with your Guineas and New Zealand Cup? What's that space going to look like? Yeah, we're looking a bit excited towards that because you know you've always got to look to the silver lining. Um, the grey cloud had been that for the last six or seven years we'd had a monopolist of a uh, disused building with a fence around it which detracted from the whole layout and appeal of, uh, of how we could present the race course. We're going to end up at the, in the short term with a 70 metre long by 30 metre deep hill for one of a simple description. Oh, It'll be half turf and half, um, half tar sealed and we'll be having tents, mini marquees, uh, we'll have elevation, we'll have uh, pre-sold areas and we'll be able to have a much better setup behind it for the GAs with the toilets, temporary toilets, totes, food court, bars and uh, coming around the front to watch the races. So we'll be able to present a much more attractive race course this November. And look, let's be honest, that is what Cup Week is all about, it's the social side. I know there's really important racing to the general public though who might dip their toes in and out of racing. What you guys do down there at Rickerton and Cup Week is really hard to rival, if not unrivaled. It's only going to get better this year. Well, it will, Mark. I mean, Cup Day is the only day that really sells out in New Zealand. Um, 
the first two days you get some wonderful racing, particularly with the Albasti Equi World 2,000 guineas and the Barnswood Farm 1,000 guineas. We get the best horses, best jockeys, and for that one week, the uh, racing show goes on the road and really showcases itself, just like we see with the likes of cricket and uh, and rugby and other sports that take their uh, their profile events around the country to where the people are. Cup week is where the stars come to Christchurch. It's where the people come out to party as well. And over those three race days, plus let's not forget our good friends at Addington, five race days in an eight-day period, Christchurch can turn it on and give everyone, I reckon, I still maintain the best week in racing. And that's coming from a Wellingtonian who's <laughs> only regret and racing life was not coming to Cup Week as Joe Punter. <laughs> how do you, how difficult it is it for you to balance? Don't change what's what not uh, what isn't broke, and the need for continual slight innovation. How do you balance that, you and your crew? Well, I think it's really as I say the the uh, spare or the new footprint we'll have will really allow us to do that. I think there's also the changing. Uh, Trying to we try and package the race course into pockets. So, you know, we've got a pocket where the young people can go and we can put the bands and we can put the music and we can put what they're wanting to participate in. We're designing a new, on the uh, side of the old member stand, we're redesigning that as an owner's member's uh, area. We've also got the, uh, you know, with our sponsors, we theme some of the bars around the place. And uh, certainly with this new footprint, it allows us to uh, to reinvigorate it. I think New Zealand Thoroughbred Racing through the Grand Tour is also helping the 20 major race days uh, reinvent themselves as well. So, you know, there's a lot of different spokes in the fire that just hopefully every year we can keep making Cup Week that little bit more exciting and that little bit more interesting. I tell you what, Tim Mills uh, from Cambridge, I can still hear the passion in your voice. You've been involved in racing a long, long time and uh, your enthusiasm is infectious. And I'll just leave you with Mark from Christchurch has just texted the show and he's put OMG Copper Belt and Grey Way great blast from the past wow so there you go you're a lifelong racing man you're in the right spot thanks for joining us today yep. Tim thanks mate I've been going to the races since I was in the cradle so that'll never stop till I'm in the box <laughs> love it Tim Mills there thanks Good buddy thanks cheers mate Tim Mills from Canterbury Jockey Club and oh, gee, that is going to be a good sight cup week down there when those tickets go on sale get yourself involved another big lawn area marquees food trucks you heard them it's such a well catered for racing enthusiasts and general public it's a fantastic week to take a week's leave and you can go to Addington as well they have the thoroughbreds the harness the dogs the whole shebang let's go and find out what's happening in the news Someone's texting, unnamed texter saying, I heard you saying Braden Yossi is starting for the Hurricanes. Could you tell me the team, please? I certainly can. Uh, the front row of Xavier Numia, Tyrell Lomax and Dane Coles. I'm really stoked that Dane Coles is starting. Um, as he's got on in years, he's hard, he struggled to back up. Um, got through last week's game really well. Uh, so he is starting at hooker. Second row of James Blackwell and Delaney. Uh, and then the back row, number eight, Braden Yossi. Number seven, Adi Savia, Devin Flanders. I think I called him Tom 
before, didn't I? Anyway, Devin Flanders, he's at six. Uh, Backline, Cam Royguard, Brett Cameron, who will get better and better with more minutes. Geordie Barrett, 12. Billy Proctor, 13. Uh, Kenny the Hollow on one wing. I want to mention something about him shortly. Uh, uh, Sinkerson on the other wing, and Josh Morby, who's one of the most improved Hurricanes, I think he's at 15. They have a bench of a Safu Almua, uh, Mafaleo. He started last week. He's onto the bench. Owen Franks on the bench. Isaiah Walker-Leawiri on the bench. Uh, Duplicy Karifi as well. Jamie Booth, Ruben Love, Balin Sullivan. That is a strong bench. That is a strong bench. Kenny Naholo, watching him last week. Incredibly explosive and dynamic. Don't know if he can pass. Can he pass the ball? Don't know if he can. He might have. Like, what a exciting, young, raw-boned, tackle-busting athlete. He's, he reminds me a bit of Caleb Clark when he first came onto the scene. Um, get ball, run fast, look for gap, bust through it, smash blokes. It's Kenny Hollow. Unfinished product, very exciting. I hope he gets taught some options. Just an observation, just an observation. Balen Sullivan on the bench in a knockout game. Uh, what would you do? So I, I'm, Naholo and Sinkinson, I think, is potential area they might exploit the Brumbies. Um, if you were listening yesterday, we had Show Me the Money. And I said, I'm going to take the first pick. And I took. I said, my my selection will be the first one to be resulted. It was on last night. And I took Michael Venus and Bianca Andrescu to win the mixed doubles final, didn't I? Didn't I? Yeah, I did. Um, they lost in a tie-breaking third set. And I'm trying to find the score. It looks like it's gone off their website. Men's singles, women's singles, men's doubles. They've taken it off because it's finished. That's not fair. Um, so, yeah, we're cooked. I was tempted to do another one today, but haven't got the budget. Haven't got the budget. Uh, so the semi-finals in the French Open uh, in the men's side is worthy of a final. Oh, I meant to ask uh, Brenda Popperwell about the number one seed in Roland Garros because... Um, last time we talked about uh, Carlos Alcaraz, he was calling him Alcatraz. And uh, I heard him do it the first time. I thought that's probably just a, just tripped over that word, but then he called him it again. And then the producer of the run home said he called him Alcatraz on their show again. And they thought that he was just winding up Beaver. Um, so I forgot to ask him about it. But Alcaraz against Djokovic in one semi final, and Rude and Zverev in the other semi-final Zverev um, he's had injury issues isn't he because he's he's seeded number 22 but I'm pretty sure he's better than that I'm pretty sure he's better than that uh, the women's singles um, we've found the finalists uh, Swiatek number one seed just I don't even know if she's lost the set yet beat Coco Goff 6-4-6-2 then beat Harad Maya 6-2-7-6 gonna sneeze Sneezed. Um, Machova beat Sabalenka. That was a bit of an upset in a three-set a three battle. Uh, so Machova will play a Schwiatek. I won't bother with the doubles because I didn't know a lot of them. Didn't know a lot of them. Um, what was the other thing that I was asked on text message? Oh, someone else wanted another match-fixing story. Have I got time? Mm, they're quite long. 
Mm, I'll have a think. I'll have a think of a short one. Um, I do like, I'm going to read this story that's on stuff. Steve Smith questions whether England's baseball can stand up to Australia. Put your mouth in your pocket, son. Shut up. Go and play them and beat them if you think you can and then talk. You're just giving fuel. You're just giving fuel. Right, we'll take our second to last break. And this is the big test for Finn Basimo. Sam said to me, text me when Finn's going to do what's making news and I'll make sure I'm listening. So in a few minutes' time, Finn Basimo, it's almost like it's like the third interview to get a job. Finn Basimo, what's making news after this? Ladies and gentlemen, I've, I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. What's making news around the world? Oh, the fear on Finn's face is palpable. <laughs> Sam has text back and he said locked in. So oh, no. Feel say, like say hello to Sam. Sam Hewitt, it's good to see you on the airways, mate. <laughs> I'm nervous. Shaking in my boots, some could say. Um, well, it's how you perform under pressure that counts. Yeah, it feels like I'm back at uni right now. Like, I've got Professor Staff in the studio and his teaching assistant Sam on Zoom. <laughs> I'm back in the studio at AUT. It's scary. All Just right, breathing down uh, my neck. A mark out of 10 after this, please. Don't be too harsh on me, fellas. Please. you got a good voice to start with. Oh. Thanks, Steph. I really appreciate that. You've got the voice of a six foot five guy. Oh, funnily, funnily enough, I am. There you go. Oh, there you go. All right, we'll start off. I'm a big fan of Indiana Jones, right, Steph. Huge it. fan. And I, I love Harrison Ford. I, I grew up watching Star Wars as well. Han Solo, favorite character. You know, he's 80 mm. and he's still acting. Anyway, besides the point. Um, Jury convicts Oregon man who rigged home with Indiana Jones booby traps, which injured an FBI agent. What a great headline to start off, right? So he lost possession of his property and there was a bomb, bomb specialist that went through his house and this man is named Gregory Lee Rodvelt. He's 71. And he told the FBI agents he had a few booby traps set, mm. set up with uh, some fishing wire as like trip wires. The first one, if you like walked over it, he had a circular spa pool which would roll down a hill Kind of like the boulder from Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I just thought that was quite funny. And we got another one. Uh, one that actually injured an FBI agent was a tripwire, and it was triggered a homemade shotgun device that discharged a 410 shotgun shell that struck the FBI bomb technician below the knee and wow. injured him. Oh, so it was aiming low to yeah. maim them, not kill them? Yeah, because he maybe maybe get shot on the knee and he can so this finish them off. this person's crazy but not stupid. Smart but crazy. Yeah, there we go. So yeah, that was my first story. Bit of a crazy one. I'm not sure. Sh- I hope he's in prison because that makes makes me a bit nervous knowing there's people in the world like that. Okay, next one. A woman suffers unimaginable pain after mistaking superglue for eye drops. Now, I think we had that. Oh, that's really unfortunate. Yeah, we did. <sighs> that's right. Well, I got a third one. You don't lose marks because you weren't here. Didn't know. I'm not sure how appropriate this, this story is for the show, but try it out anyway. A little bit of a curveball. Zion Williamson is in the news. And He's it was the all basketball, the big yes, basketballer. Big New Orleans Pelicans player. He's only played 29 games the last season due to injury. And it's fair to say people have found out what he was doing in his spare time. Mm-hmm. Um, he just announced 
great news that his girlfriend is pregnant. Oh, that's great good. news for that's him. That's what he's been doing while he's injured. Yeah, well, there, there's there's bad news, however, though. Um, okay. An adult star known as, uh, if I could find her name, Maria Mills mm-hmm. has gone to Twitter to Uh-oh. say there may have been an affair. Uh-oh. Oh. And I won't get into her tweets because they are very vulgar. Mm. But Zion's under a bit of stick, man. Because apparently they had relations in the not-so-far-away past. So they have been together, and Zion has been asking her to move to New Orleans. Oh, no. Oh. There's something wrong with that draft class, right? 2019 draft class. Zion is one of them. And Ja Morant. We all know about Ja Morant and his flinging around the gun antics yeah. and all that. So there must be something weird in the air if you're in the 2019, 2019 draft class. Yes, true. Zion's in trouble. He is in trouble. Those are, I had three stories, to be honest. Did you have a fact? I have a fact. I hope, staff, I hope you don't know it. Sudan has more pyramids than any other country in the world. I didn't know that. Oh, yes. Get in. <laughs> get in. I did I was not scared. know that. Staff is a very knowledgeable man. I was scared he was going to get my fact, so... Mm. But yeah, uh, not only does Sudan have more pyramids than Egypt, but the numbers aren't even close. While 138 pyramids have been discovered in Egypt, Sudan boasts around 255. That's a lot of pyramids. That's a lot of pyramids. Have we got any in New Zealand? I don't think we have. Don't think so. No, maybe we need one. Yeah, um, that's that's what's making that's news. That's what's making news. Yeah. I've got something. Are you fascinated by lifestyle of, I was going to say the rich and famous, the celebrities? Yeah. So during during the show at some stage, I was looking up somewhere and all those spam ads come up. And this one was uh, Celebrity Mega Mansions, <clears throat> right? So I started scrolling and I wish they'd had them in order of value because you'll see people like um, the ones you'd think would have a, an enormous like get the hell out of here mansion, like Miley Cyrus, mm. very humble about two and a half million admittedly. But um, Bill Gates... $125 million property. Oh, my God. Uh, it's on Lake Washington. Uh, it has its own Wikipedia page. It's your average house would be, your average three-bedroom house would be something like 1,500 square feet. His house is 66,000 square feet. The building? The building. Oh, my God. Uh, iconic for a variety of reasons. Uh, there's technology in the design. He's named it Xanadu 2.0. And not only does it have seven bedrooms, but it has 19 bathrooms. For what reason? Exactly. What and is the point? A huge outdoor space, which I can see the photo, and deck, and it's deck, D-E-C-K, and his own personal dock for his boat oh, into wow. Lake Washington. And looks pretty cool. And it just go. you just go, Alan DeGeneres, 45 million. Pamela Anderson, 15 million. Ryan Seacrest. American Idol, and the winner is, and the big pause, his house was $85 million. And Howard Stern was up there as well. And I'm like, he, he did radio for 20 years. I've been doing radio for 20 years. Where's my $85 million house? <laughs> That's what I'm asking you. You need to start investing, staff. Yeah. Um, message from Sam Hewitt. Nice work, Finn. Oh, That's all he put. That's all he put. That's all he put. And that's all you need. That's all I need. That's all you need. Well done, Finn. Um, Steffi... One thing about Braden that will count against Braden, you'll say at the next level is a size for a test eight. Still a nice player though. Cheers, Ken. Ken, I'm taking you up on something here. He's bigger than Artie. He's bigger than Artie, and Artie plays eight. I just, 
I don't want to see Braden Yossi go offshore. I'm scared he will. And you know why he's fast? Watch this. I watch him more than anyone. Braden Yossi, you know why he's so fast? Small steps. So he hits top speed fast because it's instead of boom, 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 picking up speed, it's <laughs> like little sparrow legs. I love it. Uh, JP will be joining us, Ken, next week uh, for the playoffs, even if there's no Aussie teams in it. Uh, now, a very important message. Uh, Graham of Marlborough, formerly in Northland. People will understand we haven't heard much from him lately. He's with his mum, who's battling ill health. Uh, so he's just sent in. I hope you're okay for me to read this, Graham. Hey, staff, I'm still in Whangarei, still bedside vigil. But I stepped outside to listen to JP, and it's amazing how the little things can make you feel a little better. Not sure what the future holds for my dear old mum, but fingers crossed, eh? Anyway, go the Mighty Crusaders. But I can actually see a couple of Kiwi teams getting beaten this weekend. Have a good weekend. Cheers, Graham from Marlborough from Northland. You know me, Graham. Thinking of you all weekend, you and your dear mum. And I'm so stoked you get to be with her at this tough time for both of you. And let's hope things are a little bit more rosy for you um, on the other side of this, Graham. And you can cheer your Crusaders home. We'll have a break and we'll have a look what happened back in the day. Here's what happened back in the day. Back in the day, 9th of June, 1983, in the first ever ODI match, Zimbabwe began their third World Cup with one of the biggest upsets in cricket history inspired by 34-year-old Captain Duncan Fletcher stunned Aussie with a 13-run victory at Trent Bridge. In 2013, Rafa Nadal became the first man to win eight titles at the Grand Slam tournament when he beat uh, David Ferrer, a regular visitor to New Zealand, in straight sets at the French Open. Uh, Birthdays today, Teddy Bruschi, NFL linebacker, turns uh, 50. Andrew Simons, had he still been with us, he would have been 48 years old. Uh, Miroslav Klosser, a German football striker, he turns 45. And the fish... The Orange Ruffy, Paul Tito, Māori All Black, Hurricane Legend, 45 years old. And Cucks, he's 38. Who's there to claim that for Scotland? Nobody. Oh, nobody. And now it's Richard Kahui with a simple run to the line. Will he reach that on? Now Sean Lamont, the try is scored. Lamont is injured. A gift of a try to Richard Kahui. Oh, Richard Kahui. Oh, actually... I listened to what a lad, what a what a podcast. He had Gregor Townsend on. He asked him who he thought would win the World Cup. Gregor Townsend, the wonderful Scott. He picked the Wallabies. How about that? Soft side of the draw. Number one movie on this day in 1994 was Speed, and this was the number one song. Oh, sounds romantic. Can. Big thanks to Finn Massimo, ticked all the boxes today, champion, filling in for Sammy Hewitt. Sammy Hewitt and Blake Ashford bringing you the Warriors. Kimberly Downs and Stephen Donald bringing you the run home.